0: Today I will be preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter two verses one through four. <clears throat> Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your admonishing word that both is a two-edged sword of encouragement and warning. May we be both of those this day so that we would have greater reason to be encouraged, that we would have greater hope in Christ and not in ourselves. May we set before you our sins with humility that you would cleanse us and care for us and that you would do to us that promise of purification and glorification that we long for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Probably for those of you who've been in church for any season of time, you know that whether through some kind of teaching or through some kind of preaching, that if a passage begins with therefore, that it's important for us to see what the therefore is therefore. And the last verse, Hebrews one fourteen, that ended the first chapter, is are they, and we're speaking of the angels, which is what we've been talking a lot about in chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So we have this context where the writer of Hebrews has been proclaiming to us the superiority of Christ over angels. Knowing that angels is probably one of the most glorious creatures of the Creator ever created, and that Jesus is greater, that He is not the created, but the Creator, and that His glory is greater, and therefore the angels are for the purposes of serving that superior, glorious One, which is Jesus Christ. But in this transition from 1st the first chapter through the second, which it wasn't written necessarily in chapter and verse like this, we see that when we get to the therefore, that it is proclaimed that these angels who are servants of this great and glorious superior king is out, has been sent out for those who are to inherit salvation. That is us. That is God's people, that the angels, this glorious thing that we have to be warned about in God's word, not to worship, that angels even have to tell those who are apostles often not to worship them, are actually for our purpose serving us out of service to the king, so that it is for those who are to inherit salvation so when we go into this, when we understand the placement of angels, being to glorify the king and to be servants for our sake, therefore, what should we do? We are to pay much closer attention. It's the same thing as saying more better. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just emphatic. the writer put as much in there as he can to to much closer attention that we may think, okay, now we get it, we understand, we're good now. But no, we are to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, to what we are hearing proclaimed to us. Now, I gave you a bit of a hint a couple of sermons ago that I believe the writer of the Hebrews wrote the, the letter to the Hebrews Um, wrote this in kind of a model, or at least was influenced by what Moses said, because he's referencing what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And then when he gets to this point, it seems parallel to the final words that he said after that admonishing word that he gave to Israel. If you remember, chapter 32 is a very painful read. It's talking about how you you all continue to sin, you continue to fail, you're going to have all of this judgment, But then it ends with rejoicing in the coming of the Lord that he is going to restore his people. And then it says that as after that Moses said these things, he put it in a context very much like we have here that's very much in the same tone as therefore. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. I want to read this. I want to go a little deeper in this comparison because I think it helps us to dig deeply into this passage to get the highlight of what the writer is telling us and ultimately what God has for us as we pay much closer attention to this passage Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 46 says that Moses said to them after reading saying everything that he said he says take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. What we see here, if we looked at some, if you could put the two passages together as I did, and you drew lines to the same thought in the same declaration, you would see that First of all, as we end there in chapter 1, that this inherit salvation is a greater, more superior inheritance than the inheritance that is mentioned here in Deuteronomy, where it says the land that you are going to possess. We have this context that this is for a people who are to inherit the promises of God. Just as here in the Hebrews, in a letter written to the Hebrews, reminding them of that proclamation that Moses made, is that now we have an understanding, a revelation through Jesus Christ of this greater inheritance, which is our salvation. We see in Hebrews, this call to pay much closer attention is a very parallel of take to heart and be careful, when Moses is speaking to them. In fact, the take heart and be careful is a very dominant theme of that particular passage, just as here we are told to pay much closer attention. Lest we drift away is a warning to us that there is a possibility that something could happen, that even in this place where we now have the Messiah revealed to us, that there is the possibility of drifting away. So there's this warning, just as we see in Deuteronomy, this warning to, again, be careful, calling us in Hebrews not to neglect this great salvation, again, to be careful. And then we have a crossover very easily here when we see in Deuteronomy that this message came from the angels. This proclamation came, this law and the fulfillment of the law, the proclamation of who that is in Jesus Christ, is a message by the angels. Now, this has tripped me up in the past, and it took me to dig in this, and some of you may have already dug in this a bit, but that the, we have in God's word that the angels are the ones who delivered the law to Moses. And you go, whoa, well, whoa, well, wait a minute. The, God himself delivered it, and the answer to that is Yes. And it's a, it's a bit of a confusing thing, but it does mention, if you look in Deuteronomy 33, chapter 2, that there were the, the hosts that were with God in that proclamation of the law. We have in Acts 7:53 where Stephen is actually making reference to that, and also in Galatians, where Paul makes reference to it in chapter three, nineteen. And then in the historical evidence that Josephus says that this was a... A Jewish tradition to understand, based upon those particular passages, that the angels deliver it. And the reason why it's kind of confusing for us, because in the narrative of the giving of the law, we do not see it said in that way. It's always God himself proclaiming and giving the law of God. But Moses, in Deuteronomy, and then in Stephen, and then in Paul... Reference that the angels were there in being messengers with that law. Specifically how that actually occurred, we don't have details, but the angels were servants of that proclamation of the law to Moses. Just as angels now in the New Testament with the coming of Christ in the Gospels is proclaiming and continuing to proclaim as messengers of the law and the fulfillment of that law. We see here that the writer of Hebrews says that this word is reliable, just as Moses says that this is no empty word, that this salvation is greater than what Moses mentions, that this is your very life, this going over to the Jordan, this continuation in their salvation on earth is only a shadow of the great salvation that the writer of Hebrews is magnifying. And then we see this, declaration in Hebrews of the gifts being distributed, assisting us in that proclamation, that we see the Holy Spirit giving gifts. And just as we see in the Deuteronomy passage that this is a blessing for the children, and if you think of the children as the continuation of the kingdom, the expanding of the kingdom, that they would live long in the land, that the Holy Spirit is building the kingdom by building up the children of God in this church, in the church of Jesus Christ. You see in Hebrews, very clearly, by just looking at some of the repetition, we see heard, message, declared, declared again, attested, heard, witness, that the centerpiece of this thing that we're paying a close attention to, much close, closer attention to, is the word and the proclamation of God. Just as in Deuteronomy, we see the words, words, warning, command, words, law, word, word, <laughs> word. It is obvious that the thing that we are to pay much closer attention to is Jesus Christ's word. That it is there where we are called and encouraged that we have a hope That as we focus on Christ and set our eyes upon Christ, that it is in his word that we can have a hope that we will not drift away. That we will not have to experience the destruction and the warning that is being given to those who do drift away. And we have a greater hope. We see very clearly in the first chapter that Jesus is superior. He's superior not just over the angels. The writer of Hebrews is just using the angels just again as a way to magnify the glory of Jesus Christ. But he's superior over all things. So as with Israel, with Moses, we are the church with Jesus. We have a greater inheritance or greater grasp of that inheritance. They have a salvation in Israel but we have a superior salvation in its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. They have a hope of the promised land and of a people, but we have a superior hope of being the bride of Christ. They have a warning that if they sin against the Lord, that they will face destruction. We have a superior warning and a superior judgment. Now, Some of you may have been following me up to that point because you're like, well, no, grace is so good. Grace is abounding. So, So the warning gets diminished, right? The concern for falling into sin gets diminished, correct? No. It's elevated. And it says that it's elevated by what's being proclaimed here in this Hebrew passage by saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's saying that if God has always been true and reliable to bring about judgment and destruction for those who drift away, what makes us think that we can just continue to sin? But I encourage you that those who have the words of life in Deuteronomy, we have this superior assurance in the reliability of Christ and what he's accomplished in the explosion of the holy spirit upon his people you might be thinking well matt charles i don't know it feels like you're you're no grace is good with christ that we this superior warning you mean we have a greater judgment to be worried about well the writer of hebrews in chapter 10 if you flip over a little bit verse 26 it says for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment in a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has, was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. Get that. Who has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So as you can see that it is very clear in this proclamation of the passage that we have in chapter 2, and then we will have to touch on this again in chapter 10, that this is a warning. So you can understand why we have this admonition to pay much closer attention, just as we have been given much more to understand, and we have been given a fuller revelation that we have to pay more close attention to this. Because of the potential of great judgment ahead. And we have here in the beginning, the very first sentence of this chapter two, this interesting word, it says, lest we drift away from it. It is the only time in the Bible that this word is used, drift. It's not anywhere else. The Greek word is periomen. What does it mean to drift you can answer this. It's not rhetorical. What are some definitions of drift or drifting? Sliding. Sliding, okay, good. Strain further away from where you should be. Straying, good. I would think it would be like when someone who was on a ship that went down the wrong raft, and it, they really don't have the control. Mm. Because of the currents. It's just taking them wherever they go. It is definitely with certainty that it is an another nautical... Term in this sense because we, we get this a lot and even though the word drift is not there there's plenty of drifting going on and, and warnings against drifting and it's very much related to the water I'm not going to try to use naval terms I know the last time I embarrassed myself by you know <laughs> messing up those things but it's, it has to do with the water <laughs> it is very clear that there's this drifting that it's there is this understanding that water is involved you know, I appreciate you mentioning sliding William because. Is anybody know who Ken Block is? If you're if you're into cars or anything like that, Ken Block um, he is a very popular stunt man, and he's known for being superior in his drifting. That that's the thing that they do. That in his stunt driving, if you go and Google and Ken Block, you will see um, his. He's got a he's he's a lot of fun to watch. He drives through all these cities. They 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 block down the city. I mean they I think they did. I um, think they did Paris and London and a variety of different places and San Francisco, and they just let him drive through the city and, and how, how he, can, he can be sliding and just barely miss something. And then there's like one video where he's like on the edge of a dock and his like his tire, they do it in slow motion, his tire is just, just right over the dock. He, he, so people are impressed because most of us, when we've drifted in our vehicles, how many people have drifted in their vehicles? <laughs> and I don't think any of us were enjoying that moment of drifting. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. There's some, there is some leagues <laughs> but you're like, oh no, there's some kind of fun. Once you realize you weren't going to die, <laughs> you can kind of take a moment to enjoy it, uh, like Ken Block did. Unfortunately, um, Ken Blott did die this past January. Um, he was known for his extreme. Um, circumstances and unfortunately and even he, he warned himself he saw that the snow was not in the best of condition and in a snow um, mobile he flipped over and he, and he died but it gives you a good feel if you go and google Ken Block the idea of this really he is the opposite because he's in control of his drifting but the reason why it's so novel for us is because we are typically not in control of our drifting Like Dave said, that we were out of control. I know this past September we went to the beach, and one of the things when I get to the beach, by the time I get the family to the beach, I am just beat. All I want to do is set up my chair and take off my shoes and stick my feet in the sand, and I just watch the kids. And I have this zone in my eyes, in my mind, where I'm like, okay, you got to keep the kids Right in here, you know, Jennifer's usually there right here beside me. And we'll get up every once in a while and get our feet wet and maybe dig a hole in the sand. But usually I'm just like, I'm zoning. You can ask the kids. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm just trying to regain enough energy to get us back to where we're supposed to be. Usually we're in Virginia Beach, so we're having to go through tunnels and all kinds of traffic. So I'm usually pretty beat. But one of the things that's my job is I want to make sure that the children are safe. And that they are staying with us. Because what happens when you go out and you're playing in the water? What happens after a while? You begin to drift. Because the waves aren't coming in directly, at least the beaches that we go to. Maybe there's some place in some beach where it just keeps you in at a (laughs) a direct path. But most of the time it's going that way. And if you're out there, as I've been out there with them before, and you're playing for a while, you don't realize it, but you start to drift away. And so I'm calling out to them, and I'm often telling the children that are a lot of times there's kids just doing sand castles and such right down below, and I'm like, "Go tell Knox, he's going too far out. You know, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna drown." And then there's little kids that are going too far out and they're going too far down, and then after a while, they finally they just have to do a reset. You know, <laughs> they, they have to get back on the shore. Because the, the, the tide's going too much in that direction. They have to get up and get back in line. And I tell them, keep your eyes on me. Because as they're in there, the waves, depending upon how windy and wavy it is, and sometimes with the undercurrent, they're going this way, but the water's going this way, they can be pulled under. And I'm like, keep your eyes on me. And I have to constantly remind those who are still on the shore, go and tell your brother or sister to focus on me, to stay in line because they're drifting. They're drifting further away. I told Jennifer, I said, I've got an easy analogy today. It's going to be an easy sermon today because you all can see where I'm going with this. Because, you know, when you're in those waves and when you're being tossed to and fro, you're no longer you're in good footing. And so it's easy to go along. You think you're fine because you think when you left the ground that you're coming right back in your mind. But you've drifted, and your bearings are off. And especially if you're looking out into the ocean, because the only thing you may be connected to is maybe a barge <laughs> that's, being, that's going in a different direction. It's not a fixed point. So the next thing you know, you're far away. My favorite story, as you know good and well, is John 21. And it says that just as day was breaking, that Jesus stood on the shore. That as the disciples were out all night working seeking to bring in the fish, which is our calling today, evangelistically, to go out into the waters, into the waves, and into the wind, that Jesus is standing on the shore just as he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But it says here in John 21 that the disciples first did not know it was Jesus. That this fixed point that was calling out to them, telling them what to do, to be able to receive a greater haul of fish than initially, and it should be because it was something very similar that they had experienced before, but even then, they weren't paying much close attention to the one who was calling out to them what to do. Thankfully, they did it anyway, and then when they received the blessings of it, they realized that it was the Lord. There he was, standing on the shore, being the fixed point, giving out the instructions that if we followed him... That we would receive the goodness that is promised. Jesus is superior. So there are three things that we can learn from this. is that We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is superior. It's very, being very clear and the writer is very adamant. Jesus is superior. And his will is superior. His ways are superior. And because of that, because of his promises, his people are superior. Not superior in of themselves, but because they receive a superior blessing. If we fast forward a little bit for some future sermon text, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away. It's the same kind of theme. It's a different Greek word, but the same concept that you would fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We must keep that focus on Christ. And here we have this calling to exhort each other, just as I was calling the children to go out, like angels being sent with a message, go out and tell them to focus, to think about where they're at, to stay firm in the original placement of where I'm sitting. And here it is to stay firm in Christ, in this great inheritance, this great hope that we have, having our focus reminded and remaining there is where we will find our hope against drifting away So first, is to keep our eyes on Jesus, but it's keeping eyes on the body of Christ. We have in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, still thinking about this nautical, the water idea. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go into this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above, all the heavens that he might fill all things. So remember, so here's Jesus sitting on his throne, not just some bum on the beach in a in a seat like me, but he is sitting on the throne being a fixed point of understanding, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers so we can stop there for a second. We can look at the parallel that we see here in Hebrews where it says that it was first attested to us, or excuse me, declared by the Lord. So we're focusing on Christ. He's the one being referred to as Lord here. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So we have the apostles. And so here it's being transferred. The message is being transferred to us. And then it goes to the prophets To the evangelists, those encouraging us with the good news, the shepherds, the pastors of these people, and other teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, what do we do as we are keeping our eyes on Christ? We are keeping our eyes on the body of Christ because it is there where we can pay much closer attention to those promises. It says that until we attain to the unity of of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. How many of you have have got it all together about the Son of God? You've heard it all. You know everything about Jesus that you need to know. Anyone? So we still have a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of work to do to encourage one another, to equip one another "...for the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." See, I told you it was an easy analogy. Here, children being tossed to and fro, but here when we think about the world, when we think about what are these things, what are these waves and wind that we are facing this day, much like the same waves and wind that they faced then. There are doctrines that are being twisted continually. That's the only thing that we're really good at making up is new kinds of twistings of doctrine. You know, this past week a lot of people the, the internet blew up because of the grammys you know nobody's watching them anyway more people watch the people talking about the grammys than people who actually watch the grammys and and i heard when i heard about what happened there i was thinking well great that's finally they're they're kind of exposing themselves for the heart who they are babylon b said that satan was kind of upset because he's like hey you're blowing my cover <laughs> because it was just blatant satan worship cbs tweets before that and says We're ready to worship. (laughs) I mean, they're just blatantly saying what it is. And that's actually a very good thing for us to see. That's not the thing that I'm so much concerned about. Because the same doctrine that is being just exploded on the television, you can see being proclaimed as you drive by churches when they're flying the rainbow flag out front. And those people are saying to worship the same Satan, but they're calling him Jesus. They're being very blasphemous by putting Jesus' name on that particular doctrine and it has truly embedded the mind of the evangelicals of this world today. Those are the kind of doctrines that we are being called to bow to and to encourage that are tossing us and blowing us away. And when we look, we're like, well, let's look at the church and what we're actually looking at instead of looking at the body of Christ, we're looking at a barge of garbage that's just floating out into the sea. And that's our reference point for where we're at. And it's drawing us out deeper into the sea. And we're not just going to be shipwrecked. We're going to be drowned. And we're going to be lost. By human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's not just on the major scenes. It's the battles that we face as families and as individuals. For the past few weeks, just multiple conversations with different ones of you. We're just, it just seems like we're fighting. You know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot of reasons to be encouraged, but it's just a fight, and Satan is just after us, twisting things, changing things, and we're called to come together. That's why it's so important for us to keep our mind and our eyes upon the body of Christ, because it is there where his name is proclaimed. So what is the opposite? It says here, continuing in Ephesians, rather speaking the truth, in love. Three words, truth in love. That's probably one of the best summaries of what our calling is as Christians following Christ, is to proclaim the truth in love. You know, we sometimes we can get on a, a big kick, you know, well, you, as, as I was mentioning, you know, this whole virtue signaling and, and virtue um, Mood, I guess there is of, of 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 you know love is love and that kind of thing. Taking God out of it, we can see that if you just isolate this concept of love without truth, then you can see that we're going to be out in the middle of nowhere and drown. But the same opposite is true that when we're focusing on truth without love, it would be like it would be like me going out to my children. This is a very violent thing. I hope this doesn't scare anybody. But if I'm calling out to my children, I'm saying. Keep your eyes on me. You're, you're drifting. You're drifting. You're not staying in the same place. You're drifting. And finally, I just go out there, and I grab one of my children. This is kind of maybe a little graphic, but, and you just grab them by the head, and you just put their face down in the sand and say, look, you're moving. What's going to happen? You're going to drown them. Yeah, you're going to point out to them the reality that things are moving, but you're going to drown them. That's not speaking the truth in love. But it is here where his name is proclaimed, where his word is proclaimed. And if we are proclaiming that word to one another, we are building one another up in truth and in love. What else can we do? So we come and we study. We're in the word. We come and worship. We, you know, we lace our worship with lots of God's word. And we have Bible studies. But what else is there to do? Well, not only are we to keep our eyes on Christ and keep our eyes on the body of Christ. We are to call out to the one who is on the shore. We are to call out to him. We are to to plead out to him instead of just waiting to hear his word being proclaimed to us, which it is being proclaimed, but we are to call out to him with faith. And often we are finding ourselves where we are off-footing and where we are drifting. And we don't have the strength. The undertow is too strong and we have to call out. Hebrews 3.1 says, "Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, this inheritance, consider Jesus." And it seems so so obvious, right? Consider Jesus. Consider calling out to Him. There are so many places for us to go to get help or advice and counsel. And have you considered Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession? Then again, in James chapter one verse two You know, I think about that passage a lot about asking for wisdom and God will give you wisdom. The context of that passage is when you are being beaten and bruised. Now, it's still good to ask for wisdom and just in a a calm moment when you're sitting on the shore, Lord, give me wisdom about this decision or that. But the context of that particular passage is shown right here. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by wind. That we are in those moments when we are being pushed by the waves, we're being pushed by the wind, and we don't know what to do. And I I, I hear that so often in multiple levels of counseling, I don't know what to do. We, We definitely need to start by asking God to rescue us and to do it assuming that he'll come. If my children are out there in the water and they're saying, Dad, I'm, I'm floating away. Dad, come. Come and come get me. They know that I'm going to go out there. No matter what. And try to pull them to shore. I'm not going to go, just swim harder. You know, just hold on. Give me a minute. I'm eating my chips. Don't want to get my fingers sandy yet. No, I'm going to run. I'm going to run to them. And we too, when we call upon the Lord, you know, we, a lot of times we're, we're already so beaten by the waves, so beaten by doubt, so beaten by the lies of Satan that we go, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. But we don't even expect that he's going to run to us. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It is easy for us to go, why are these waves hitting us? Why is it going on? Well, we see in the context in the preceding passage there that it's for our, our testing, that these trials are there, that we will face waves. We are called to go out. We are out there fishing, not just playing in the water. We're out doing the work of the kingdom, and we're being hit by wind and wave. But it says that blessed is the one who holds on to the promises just as Christ, as I mentioned last week, set his face toward the cross. For the joy that was set before him, we are told to stand steadfast waiting for the promise of the crown of life. This is a reliable promise. These are words of salvation that are true. We have every reason to pay much closer attention. Because it is a promise that he has given to those who love him. Mark four, verse 37 through 41. We see these examples in the gospel. We know that, that water is in the mind of the Lord. It says and a, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many of you have prayers like that? I have prayers like that. Lord, do you not care? You told me to go out here on this rinky dick boat, and it's filling up with Water. It says, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. He's already in the place of rest. He's resting here. He has the ability to say to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But why is the writer of the Hebrews telling us to pay much closer attention? Just to build up our faith. Just as Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, this is what our goal is. This is what our calling is, is to build each other up in this faith. But here, even in this particular narrative, they were still filled with great fear and they said to one another, and this is a proclamation for us to say to each other too, who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. That was in our hymn, our call to worship this morning. This, who is this God? Who is this God that is capable of defeating all of these fierce waves and wind that are against us? But it gets better. And in close, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 14. It's a little bit longer of a passage, but I'm closing here. I want you to bring all of these warnings and these encouragements into this boat with us. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 24 through verse 33, it says, But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. See, when we call out to Jesus, he doesn't have to swim to us. He walks to us. He masters and is above and superior over the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. Isn't it a common theme that we often miss when Jesus is right in front of us? They didn't recognize him on the shore. They didn't recognize him walking on the sea. Many times we do not go to the place that would be initially the place where we would think this is Jesus. We know Jesus is doing all these things. But instead we say it's a ghost and they cried out with fear that even his presence not presence of of knowing who it was but just in fear that maybe they were there there was a monster of some sort. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. What was it that Je- that Moses told Israel it says, Take these things to heart. It is Jesus. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I've got prayers like that too. Lord, if this is, if this is your will, if this is what you want, then you just call me to this and I'll come out there. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, to take on. I have faith. I believe you. I'm willing to go. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That even here, Peter had the faith to believe that it was Christ and that he could walk to him and that he would be able to walk on the water, but... Just like us. And this is why this is an admonishment for God's people. We have his truth. We have his worship. We have his sacraments. We have his goodness. We have his promises. But we all still have to face the wind. And we get distracted. And we're called here to pay much closer attention to what he has said. But we call out to God. In those moments where our distraction is taking us away from paying close attention to him, we call out to him, Lord, save me. Such a simple prayer. A prayer that I encourage each and every one of you in those moments of temptation and wind and waves. It's an easy prayer to to get out. Lord, save me. Save me from this temptation. Save me from this doubt. Save me from this destruction. And it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Right? of the Hebrews proclaimed that in the last chapter in a very vivid way for us, We are called to gather. We are told by the writer of Hebrews not to forsake this gathering. We are called to come and worship him. And I know that every time that we go to the beach and the kids are playing, and even if I'm just sitting there doing nothing, we garner up our appetite. (laughs) The work has been hard. And he calls and he calls us to eat with him. Just as when he was standing on the shore and the disciples saw him, he was preparing a meal for them so that they could go from their labors, from their fighting. In their case, it would seem like it was pretty drab of a fight. But in this case, they were definitely dealing with the the beaten elements of the wind and the rain and and the waves. He says, come and eat to be refreshed, to be strengthened. This is the kind of God that we have when we call out to him to save us. This is the kind of God that we have when we call out to him. Plead out to him. He is the one who feeds and nourish. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you.